0: Not much to say before this uh, special presentation of I Don't Believe in That God with Natalie, but I will mention that at the end of the episode, there's about a 10-minute clip from this most recent patron-exclusive episode, and I put it in there because I just thought it'd be the kind of thing that you guys would like to hear, whether or not you are a patron and have access to that full episode. It's just like a cool clip. And so I'll just talk about the Patreon now, and we can skip the break in the middle and just let the conversation with Natalie run all the way through. So there's a Patreon campaign uh, with which you can support this show. It's $5 a month, uh, and there's a sliding scale. If you can't afford that, you have permission podcast at gmail.com, if that's the case. And uh, it comes with two exclusive episodes per month at least, as well as access to the Facebook group, which is for patrons only. And this most recent episode started out as what was supposed to be a friendly debate between my friend Chris Hoke and I about whether Calvinism is inherently abusive as a theology, and it ended up in this really kind of pastoral, beautiful, uh, I don't know, almost therapeutic conversation, um, and lots of interesting and challenging stuff along the way, and the 10-minute clip is from more of the challenging pastoral therapeutic part, not so much from the first half of the conversation, which was more of the debate. So that sets that up. Let's just hear uh, my nice, long, really great conversation with Natalie in full, and then I'll play that clip at the end. Natalie Shepman, uh, I don't know if I should call you the the singer. You're definitely the guitar player, and you are one of. Are you the lead singer? Or are you just one of three singers of just the band of Joseph? One, one of three, of three. singers.
1: Three. Yeah.
0: Is it is it dismissive or a compliment to call you guys for people who don't know your band? Like <laughs> you're like the Dixie Chicks of Ooh. pop rock.
1: Oh, thank you. Okay, that is a huge compliment.
0: I mean, in so far as it's like. There's three people singing most yep. of the time. It's very hooky. Thank you. There's some kind of emotional humph to it, but it's very, mm-hmm. but very catchy. Mm-hmm. If people if people think they might have heard the name Joseph, they might recognize the song "White Flag." Is that kind of yeah. The, the yeah? Yeah, that's
1: the front runner. Mm-hmm.
0: Front runner. Anyway, uh, we have known each other at a, at a friendly acquaintance level for I don't know a long time, many years since yeah. since before. You guys did Joseph, I think you were doing something oh, yeah. else. You joined up with your sisters, started Joseph, yeah, before that, I know, but I don't yeah. really remember
1: i I have it in my mind as that time. it was like pre pacific gold
0: mm-hmm.
1: right, like yeah, what was the name that you guys had before? We
0: were called Wayfair before pacific right, gold. yeah right,
1: so there and it was like in that zone when we were kind of coming up in the yeah. Seattle. Moment, and we had a different band name as well, and it was yeah. like a whole, yeah. And yeah, how many so? Maybe years like 2011
0: like, or something like that. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, so the reason that we're here today is that I've started interviewing musicians who have some thoughts around Christianity or the Christian music scene and what have mm. you. And Peter Manson, our mutual friend from the band Deep Sea Diver, by the way, what fantastic new record just came Ooh. out. Oh yeah. He was like, You should talk to Natalie. And then, as we started texting, it was like, Oh, actually, we should not do that. We should do (laughs) one of these I don't believe in that God episodes, uh, which are my favorite episode type to do. Mm. They are longer, they're freewheeling. We get to get in, we get to like the very core, the nub of the issue for people. And I I end up usually learning something about myself as well.
2: Mm. So,
0: here we are doing one of those episodes.
1: Yeah. As I was saying to you earlier, I've ever since we talked about doing this, I've been thinking about it for a large part of, you know, my thought times in the daytimes, because it just, you know, it's so core. And I feel like with any origin story, you know, at different points in your life, you're always filtering what's happening in the present through what happened in the past. And I think that especially lately, I mean, I'm 33 years old. And this, this moment in my processing of everything, it's been very, very like sharp and very present in my mind of kind of thinking about who I am right now and who I'm going to be in light of what was. So I have a lot of reverence for this conversation. And as I said before, just like a little trepidation because it is so close to my heart. And so, you know activated and and alive at you know right now
0: totally not to put a damper on your idea of thinking about yourself through the lens of the past which of course we do need to do but actually Mm. one thing that's really interesting that psychologists have figured out is that we actually misremember the past Uh, through the filter of the present so the whole thing gets kind of tied up and it uh, it introduces quite a bit of uncertainty that Um,
1: makes so much sense
0: Yeah, once you learn that, you go, oh, yeah, I've I've done this a bunch. I've seen this person. You know, you have all these examples you can think of. Yeah. (laughs) But let's start. um, First of all, I I think you wanted to say one kind of disclaimer because you are in a band with two of your sisters.
1: I am. Yeah. Yeah. And so we grew up, of course, in the same environment. And as much as any sibling is in the same environment as their other sibling. And I don't speak for them. That's the main Like disclaimer, because the three of us are all in different places. And of course, we talk and we huddle and we we are usually around each other constantly. So we discuss these things, you know, all the time. But I I definitely don't we don't we're not always in lockstep with how we feel about our past and, and spirituality in the present.
0: Yeah, just because you guys are constantly making Instagram content with each other does not mean that you believe the same <laughs> things about God.
1: Exactly. <laughs> you
0: guys are some of the most prolific Instagrammers. Okay, so let's start at the beginning, though. Wow.
1: Thank you. Yes. Okay, great. <clears throat>
0: uh, I would, Don't take prolific as, like, I necessarily would, a no. compliment.
1: I think that that's so interesting that you said that because... I think everyone's perception of their online presence is so unbelievably distorted based on how other people perceive it, because I always feel, I feel this pressure in my head of like, we're not present enough, we're not doing enough, like we're not, you know, having, we need to alter, make sure our voice is clear in this way. So the fact that you just said that is, is just another little nudge of like, oh, it's more than you think, you know? Yeah,
0: sure. But I'm also like, I'm a 37 year old man. (laughs) and i'm i don't engage with bands on instagram the way that like the average 23 yeah. year old probably does totally. which i would imagine is a lot closer to like your median fan
1: oh yeah um, for sure know,
0: especially having had radio play and stuff like that so i'm i'm just joking with you i don't
1: okay. i don't I have a it. real
0: opinion about no it makes me that. feel
1: very hip i feel you know you just said i was a prolific instagrammer so that makes me feel like i'm hip and happening
0: if you didn't already know that you were more hip than me Then (laughs) therapy is what we should be talking about. There's a blockage of some sort. Yeah, we
1: need to understand.
0: So let's start at the beginning. Uh, Give me the sort of religious context of your childhood.
1: Yeah, the best. So as I was thinking about this, I realized to synthesize it, I had three inputs, and I am going to use the word. I'm going to use the I, you know, word instead of we because sure. Like I said, I'm just speaking for myself. So we went to a Christian school growing up, basically kindergarten through 12th grade. There were a few homeschool moments. And it was very small. It was, you know, probably 300 students, K through 12 total, 100 in the high school. And, you know, as it was happening, I really thrived there. And that's something that I've thought a lot about realizing, you know, I have a very performative approach to life just naturally in my personality. So it was really conducive to that of this environment that basically said, oh, you input A, you get B, you know, and I was like, great, all I have to do is do these cartwheels and wow you and God's happy with me. And you know, my siblings all took that in differently and had a lot of different experiences. My our brother is like very, very sharp and wanted to ask questions, and he was very squelched in that. He was squashed in his um, curiosity. There's so many different facets to that experience. I spend way too much time of my life thinking about it, uh, filtering the past through the present. Apparently. But what was interesting about our experience that I, I look at other kids who went to the school that we went to is that we had these two other facets of spirituality that were being displayed for us. So Damascus was the, I probably shouldn't even say the name now I've said it, but whatever. The school was just kind of your classic, pretty fundamental, conservative, very put on a happy face, be a Christian, do it right, whatever. The type
0: of Christian school where people who sometimes homeschool feel comfortable sending their kids. (laughs) That's all we need to know, probably, right? Yep. (laughs) If you know, you know what we're talking about. That is
1: so good, yeah. So
0: it's at that particular end of the spectrum, right?
1: Yes, exactly. And then my parents had this group of friends who lived in Northeast Portland, and they were... Wild is the only thing I could say. Like they, and we would, this was an interesting group of friends because it was a very kind of like, without being this, it was an intentional community sort of thing where like they, you know, all the men would hang out once a week and all the women, you know, that kind of thing. And then we would see them
0: periodically. We homeschooled with them at one point. These were Christians as well?
1: Yes, but.
0: Oh, yes, but. Okay, good.
1: So yeah, this is what was interesting is like. Basically, some of them would go to Catholic church. Some of them went to, you know, much different kind of evangelical churches. They drank openly. They cursed openly. And in my environment that I was in every single day, that was all very, very demonized, all of those Mm -hmm. things. And yet I remember cognitively as a child seeing these people and and feeling, and of course I didn't have language for it, but feeling like they were more alive yeah. and more real and more true. And just that was a really enlivening experience that I had to compare, you know, with my day-to-day legalistic, you know, my geometry teacher saying, Don't say darn or gosh, those are euphemisms. Like Oof.
0: <laughs> Yeah. Right. You know?
1: And then I had on the other side people saying, oh, my God, and also, like, being really spiritual and really grounded and interesting people. Okay, so that was that other facet. So that's one and two. What's three? One and two. Three is there was a family at our school who we became close with, and the dad, his name is Paul, he wrote a book called The Shack, and it ensued that they were called heretics and... right horrible horrible things happened to the kids at the school um mm. because of that but prior to the shack paul was this really they had six kids they were so that house that like everyone would just go hang out at and they had a trampoline and a pool table and it was the best and paul was always this interesting thing where he would just like engage with any of us kids who wanted to talk about it and he would be like what about this? What about this? And like, I remember he was very like, oh, you know, speaking in tongues, everyone can have a prayer language. And he was like, you know, at one point, you know, led me in like finding my prayer language or whatever. And I just remember that experience also, you know, really informing how I was seeing the school. And keep in mind, you know, the school is my main input. That's where I'm at, you know, the majority of my time. So. That's kind of the base level, but I had these extra angles to compare. And I've thought a lot about that because I still feel extremely screwed up from my experience. But to think about anybody who didn't have these extra angles, like I had friends whose parents were hook, line, and sinker, like thinking the exact same way as the school. And I had a dad who, when I came home from eighth grade, you know, youth group and was bawling my eyes out one night because in youth group, we had closed our eyes and raised our hand and made a promise that we were going to read our Bible every single night. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my youth group person had said, oh, God, of course, I can't remember the scripture verse, but it's basically like, it's like daggers in God's eyes to like break a promise to him or something, you know? Whatever
0: verse he had to find. Whatever. He found that one. Okay. He
1: found it. And I was just, because I hadn't, I had gone to bed without doing it. Of
0: course you had. Of (laughs)
1: course I had. Ah. And I was just like a puddle and I was wrecked. And my dad comes in and says basically just like holds me and it's like, it is okay. God is not mad at you that, you know, like, let's question this. So I had all of these great influences questioning, you know, this space and yet it was mammoth in its influence. And I, and all of the feelings that I have you know, now today, I'm 33 years old, like, however many years later, and I still deal with so much of this, like, deeply ingrained stuff. I think about people who are in more extreme situations with less ability to question it. And I'm just astounded when I think about that.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've spent a lot of time thinking about that because I am doing my own uh, doctoral research on spiritual and religious abuse. Which oh, wow. Which we'll, we'll come back to Ooh, we should have. I should have warned you about that. That's amazing. Uh, but let's not, okay, let's not get sidetracked. Okay, um, okay. So, can I ask you about, you talked about your dad, but can you talk a little bit about your mom?
1: Yeah, my mom, it was so fun. She was the drama teacher at the school. So, I think that in all of this, you know, like I said, I really thrived in the environment while it was happening. And,. It was great because extremely small class sizes, like very, very connected to my teachers and very involved in all the activities. And um, having my mom there was really, really fun because she's just really, really fun. And she was this person who everyone we all it was just kind of a fun and theater is theater. So it's like, you know it's great. It's such a, it's such a togetherness thing. So, you know, we've all looked back on it now and my parents have expressed sadness over the (laughs) major negative impacts that the experience had and they've both done. And I feel extremely fortunate to be seeing my parents who are in their 50s and 60s becoming new people, you know, and them tearing down things that don't work for them anymore and doing therapy and all of this amazing stuff. I'm like, oh, I love having that example. But they've reflected and said, wow, we didn't know. We didn't know what the experience was like for you as a kid. We were just like thinking, okay, this will be safe. You'll be protected from different things. You'll have this spiritual experience. They had They had both become evangelical Christians Later on in their lives, they had met at like a singles group at a church. And so it was a newer, fresher thing for them. And so they were like, wow, we can like raise children in this beautiful new thing. And it will be so all of the optimism and brightness that you can have about that. Mm -hmm. And of course, further reflection has been like, wow, there was a lot going on.
0: Yeah, we won't be able to avoid... That with our kids and you know whatever it's right you can't hindsight's twenty twenty
1: totally all of so, us are going to make you know those right, kind of exactly. choices
0: that screw us up. The question is, what will Soren need therapy for? Not <laughs> yes. if he'll need it. That's the that's what we should be placing that's bets. So
1: on. good. Oh yeah, that's a great
0: starting point. So fair to say, then in summation about your your parents and your family situation, you have these both restrictive, a restrictive environment that nonetheless you thrive in at school. Yeah. Your mom is a good presence and she's there in person a bunch of the time. Yep. Then you've got these two other sources of what you would now consider more healthy spirituality and and Christianity. And your parents are sort of in the mix of all of those because obviously the wild ecumenical drinking and cursing friends are your parents' (laughs) friends. So they're not, you know, they're not shutting that down. Right. So far, you've basically described uh, my faith upbringing as well. Really? Yeah. You're kidding. Um, My dad was all, well, I don't know, Paul DeYoung, is that his last name?
1: His name is Paul Young.
0: Paul Young, right. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know Paul Young, uh, but, you know, I had like my parents' friend group, like their couple's Bible study, many of whom uh, we are all still very close with. That group was, like, just a, a very alive and joyful mm. group, and they drank, and, yeah. uh, and especially as I got into, like, later high school and college, the, that really was clear, and, it, and we would go mm. for the Super Bowl, and we would go for Thanksgiving, and, you know, yeah. um, and then I also had a pretty good church experience, pretty standard evangelical California church, so not okay. a southern evangelical church, not fundamentalist sure. Yeah. And then in my Christian schooling in which I thrived, I so was student, interesting. I was student class vice president, I was yeah. in a band. Yeah. And I also experienced serious spiritual trauma. Yeah. In because there were enough fundamentalists that yep. were drawn to Christian education and that would have oh, the wow. freedom to basically indoctrinate, they wouldn't have described it that way. Right. And so there was a, a lot of hurt there too. So wow. I just feel like it's totally that's wild. It's, it's totally normal that you could have a, a pretty good thriving overall experience yep. that nonetheless, you can point to certain things that were super mm-hmm. harmful. Oh
1: yeah. Baseline baseline input of how to see everything is baseline. You're terrible and you can't really fix that, <laughs> but try every day and baseline The heart is deceitful above all things. I think, I think about that, those words and how foundationally, you know, traumatic that idea has been and how in my present, that's the biggest, in my opinion, lie that I have tried to overcome and tried is really a reconnection with an internal sense of truth and intuition. Because that is something that I felt like was the worst thing that was taken was you cannot listen to what your insides tell you. And I would be curious what your experience was of this. But I do feel like that messaging to females was a lot even stronger because it just exists in a patriarchal situation and women are, it's more emphasized, you cannot trust what you are thinking and feeling you need to listen to your authorities and i've realized so much as i've tried to like reintegrate spirituality into my life how much i've had to do listening inside and my automatic reflex is what does that other person think in a room you know and this is also personality that i've realized of just like Becoming wanting to be whatever I think the room wants me to be in the moment.
0: Yeah, does I was going to ask, does the other person in the room have to be an authority figure, or is it just anybody?
1: It's anybody, yeah. But it's okay. it's rooted in this thing, you know. Like it's both personality. I've realized that that teaching really coincided with my personality and wanting to please and wanting to be agreeable. Yes and all of that. And now only now as I've been doing somatic therapy and like trying to reconnect with body and physicality and cause I've realized like I have these friends like, okay, I apologize for bringing this up, but Enneagram.
0: <laughs> hey, how did you know? Did you listen to some episodes and no, find out it's... that I'm okay? Oh, you're just saying, cause I'm it's just overdone.
1: Saying, uh, it's overdone. We're over yeah. it. Like I'm, I'm are, actually,
0: I'm, I'm a, f- a fair amount of an Enneagram skeptic. Okay, uh, great. I thought that's what you were referring to, but no,
1: I did not know, but I feel it's that it's
0: fine. It's a personality test. It is helpful insofar as yes. personality tests that have not been verified are helpful. Yes, yes, yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, exactly.
0: It's still helpful. I, yeah.
1: It's, it's just, you know, it's a framework to kind of start exploring, you know, and yeah. I will use it to just say that I have noticed once I had, Categories for some of the behaviors that I saw in certain friends that I'm drawn to women who are who identify as an eight on an Enneagram, which is very justice oriented. They know what they think and feel. They are not afraid to say it. Mm -hmm. And I have realized that I am very, very attracted to and needing that energy in my life. And it has been something to compare to to say. Does it fill a
0: space that's not there for you? Oh
1: yes, that is the disordered, you know, part of that is like, oh, if I'm around, and I definitely married someone like that, you know, if I'm around someone who knows who they are, no matter what, no matter what situation or who they're around, you know, then I have a sense of groundedness, Mm. and that's what I'm trying to combat now, and what I'm trying to, yeah, what I'm trying to establish,
0: yeah. But it might be good for a marriage. I mean, my wife, you know, Jaffrey hates making decisions.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh,
0: and I don't mind at all. I'll I'll decide everything for yeah. us. <laughs> you know, yeah. ultimately, I want her to become more comfortable making decisions. But, like, as a short-term fix, that helps us oh. get through a lot of where we're going to eat and what we're going to Oh, you know, I
1: love that. What no, route I love we're those complimentary things. Yes, yeah. of course. Yes. So that's fine. Yeah,
0: totally. Well, it's funny you mentioned the enneagram. I actually was thinking about the enneagram when you were talking about, you know, the person in the room and and uh-huh. uh, deferring to authority that it doesn't really matter how accurate of a description it is, but something that you do hear a lot is that a lot of women raised conservative Christian uh-huh. first take enneagram tests and become and they're twos. They yeah. are the helper. Yeah. The servant. Uh, mm-hmm. And the interesting thing there is that like, well, they might actually not be, but it might be right. that their environment is sort of pushing them into that role yep, because that is the personality type that succeeds yeah. in these circumstances. And I think there's something, definitely something to that. Yes. Um, I'd love to see some measurements on it, but it feels very true.
1: Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, that's definitely my experience. I'm, you know, would see myself as very three, like every, I feel very extremely, everything I read about that, I'm like, oh, that's for sure me. I I need applause. I need, that's my deepest desire is I just want to be. Go (laughs) figure.
0: I wonder if every musician I ever (laughs) interview is basically that. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I need to like feel approval in order to feel like I matter, you know, all of these things. Sure. and and you can see how that cauldron of an evangelical Christian experience of like very works oriented but very you know dissonance because they're saying that it isn't
0: right it's okay, so that's let's drill down on that. I was kind of going there mentally when you were talking about this school environment and mm-hmm. you were saying that like it's very formulaic insofar as the rules are very clearly laid out, yep, and if you follow them, you will get plaudits applause you will they will shower you with praise yep you will be a a little girl after god's heart you know whatever the best things they can say about you they'll say about you and it's funny that the irony you're right is that the way that evangelicalism anyway talks about itself Mm -hmm. it's that oh catholics they think that they can buy salvation with their good works. Uh, and we know that you can't <laughs> and that it's actually only through free acceptance of the grace of Jesus Christ. Right. That you are made right with God. Yeah. And they do believe that. I think they believe that genuinely about the process of salvation. I think uh-huh. that that's true. I don't think that there's really a, an issue sure. there. Sure, But. Mm-hmm. The day-to-day, week-to-week, whatever, the the group standards, the the norms and the rules and how you get status, all of that stuff is like actually very regimented, very outward. Mm -hmm. It's very much like you signal the correct thing so that everyone knows that you're good and they're good and everyone's anxiety (laughs) can go down about who might be lost. You know what I mean? So that's a really interesting tension.
1: Yeah, I talked you know, as I've grown up and re-encountered people from my childhood, I'm not super close with very many people from that environment. But when I have kind of taken apart everything that happened, I had this great conversation with a friend of mine who his take on it was like, we were an experiment. He was like, as children basically all of, you know, a lot of the adults in our life had had these experiences that they felt very broken down by, or they felt shame about. And they just thought, Oh, if we can corral all of these children into these parameters, we'll keep them safe. And we can see what would happen if somebody basically had a cleaner slate, you know, like if we drill into them, purity 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 you know like and it felt like an absolution of their own whatever they were ashamed about and that that resonated with me in my experience of like oh you didn't do any of these things all of your like quote-unquote testimonies are about the like drug binges and the and the everything this like dramatic amazing story about how you had this lightning bolt and all of us who were like praying to jesus in our hearts at four years old were felt very like oh i don't have that cool story or exactly yeah it's like it's like but they wanted to try it out and see what what could happen
0: well first of all i want to say i feel like there's maybe a simpler global explanation. Like that might've been true for you and your, and your buddy. Sure. Yeah. But I think most, most parents are like trying to do their best and keep their kids safe and impart, you know, yes. like you don't need to pause it. Occam's razor is you don't need to pause it. They were interested in doing an experiment. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) I don't know.
1: No, I don't think it's cognitive. I don't think it's like crafty or anything.
0: It may have turned out to be an experiment, right? Uh, But once the way I'm, my brain's going with this. Is there's a tension maybe with boomer Jesus movement turned evangelicals mm, between the radicalness of the faith of their youth and the hippie Christianity, yes, uh, and the you know, the shorts and sandals, Jesus people stuff, yeah, with once they are now in their 30s and 40s and they have kids that oh, they want to keep yes. safe, just kind of defaulting to a more standard. Protective mm. parental mode yeah. with whatever values they have
1: Right or how about you have you own a house now and you have a salary and you want to keep that and you like the idea of the American Dream and capitalism and how yeah. that infuses and seeps into now all of this theology about you know how you should live your life and that's now synonymous with Christianity. That makes sense to me what you just said of like where they are at in their life then becomes the spiritual teaching that we got.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's – it's hard to generalize because uh, people, you know, people's experiences on, on sort of all of those continue – Totally. Are, you know, they're, they're going to change. Yes, of course. Mileage will vary. But yeah, they're – okay. So did you feel – did you feel experimented on in some way? And and if so, uh, yeah. how?
1: Okay, great. Love it. I think the biggest thing that I have had to combat in battle has been how I was taught to think about body and physicality, you know, more specifically sexuality and the complete exclusion of that to personhood and then having to reintegrate. And then also my experience of and again, this is specific to my experience being in a female body. So, first of all, the biggest messaging that we got was like, "Be sexually pure. Be pure. Okay. Basically,
0: be asexual. If you're be a girl.
1: asexual, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Like,
0: and then flip it on once you marry your flip Christian it husband on. and become a jaguar.
1: Ah, uh, yes, a jaguar
0: A Jaguar. Yeah,
1: right.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's amazing.
1: Yes, and also like one of the things that was really, really messy in my experience with my Christian school was the dress code. And it was militant. It was your, if you're going to wear a skirt, it better be at this point in your kneecap. And if you're going to wear a shirt and you you raise your hand, you cannot see any skin. Like, it was so detailed. And this is all, there was the debate about getting uniforms. And I think we would have really benefited from having uniforms instead because... Now you have all of these people with different incomes having to buy a whole special wardrobe, and I my mom told me later that there was this great moment in one of the teachers' meetings where one of the one of the teachers was saying, "Well, I just take my girls to the misses section of J.C. Penney's, and
0: <laughs> which is adults or yes. young young women or something yeah, young adults. No, yeah,
1: are. it's basically like you know." very grandma sort of, you know, stuff. <laughs> oh
0: my gosh.
1: And, and one of them, another mom was like, I'm sorry. Like, I want my kid to be a kid. Like, yeah. but it was very, and then, then the different extrapolations of this are such, you get kids who don't have enough money to have the right thing. So they get shamed basically to put it plainly on the regular for having a little bit of midriff show and they bend over to grab their pencil And then you have kids who, women, girls who are developing earlier. So they have boobs. Those girls are getting targeted by this dress code because they're, they're becoming women and they're being given this message that actually your body is a threat, your body and what you are bringing to mind for the people around you is a threat. And so now it's up to you to shield us from that and there's just like a a slow drip of this divorcing yourself from your physical frame and distancing yourself from it and and hating it and i think that there is so much to that that i find myself having to peel back all totally. the time
0: i'm i'm sitting here wondering if it is inevitable that these kind of sort of purity overly policing mm-hmm. uh, young girls, if it's just inevitable in conservative religion. I mean, I'm thinking about Islam. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking yeah. about evangelicalism. I'm thinking about yeah. super conservative Catholics and Mennonites and yeah. Amish. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it might just be like baked in to oh, conservative yeah. religion.
1: Well, and it makes sense because once i've you know the little bit that I've learned about the feminist movement, that's just true in our society there in if you are in a system where men are socialized to understand that they are going to be the ones in charge and women are socialized to understand that they aren't you know these are just the natural dynamics that happen
0: right and and uh conservative religious movements tend to. Yes. Uh, hue to patriarchal social yes. norms, yes, and then you put those two, yes, you, exactly. You combine them together, and that's what you get. Right. And
1: I think to your question about do I feel like I was experimented on, I think that when I think about those things, so I've I've been realizing and seeing in myself my fascination with and fixation on cult things. Like we're all interested in cults. It's like how does someone get there? Right. It's yep. it's crazy. But more recently, I've been really following this Nexium story, and there have been multiple documentaries and podcasts. And I found myself just like, I can't look away. The deeper that I get into this thing, the more I realize, like, I feel like I experienced cult light. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's very, and and, and the thing, the reason why I bring that, that up in this moment is because there's so much control that is necessary from whoever is leading the thing. That they need to like program the brain of the people they are working with to not trust themselves, to trust this person who's in control more, to turn them against themselves. I'm just seeing all of these different things in this, right. particularly this NXIVM thing, where I was like, oh my gosh, I experienced all of that.
0: Yeah, we blazed through The Vow, the uh, HBO miniseries yes. about Nixxiom. is fantastic. Oh, um, so good. So here's how I'm kind of thinking about that these days as I do this spiritual cool. abuse research. So I think that basically if you are a controlling narcissistic leader, mm-hmm. you have like some number of tools at your disposal. Yeah. And – probably the more intelligent you are as a narcissistic leader the better mm-hmm. you are at utilizing these tools there's yeah. probably something about like your raw power and ability right mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. charisma is one of those yeah. and all the kind of yeah sort of mind thought control methods the the sort of disconnecting from the outside world that's a method having people second guess their own intuition and feelings that's yep. a that's a tool so you have all these tools and there is overlap between Sort of the worse and and more narcissistically led a religious group is
1: yeah and, wow. uh,
0: the closer it is to a cult in that sense so wow yes if you just look at it as a toolbox or something yeah people who have an unhealthy pastor that guy has probably used some portion of those tools
1: yeah and
0: a really healthy religious community would use none of those tools right and. Keith Raniere and Nexium mm-hmm. would use all of them, and yes. he's. I think. I think that he's at least quite smart. Smart enough to sort of like mm-hmm. navigate that thing for fifteen, oh, twenty yeah. years before it blew up on him. Talk about so,
1: calculating.
0: Yeah, right. What separates Keith Raniere and a, 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 a pastor who also has narcissistic personality disorder, but is less successful, is probably their IQ.
1: Interesting, right?
0: But then yes. what separates a narcissistic personality disorder pastor, who's going to be the worst of the worst from just like a kind of a bad independent Baptist preacher <laughs> is like less narcissism, right? Yeah. So it, there's wow. there's a few different continua that you could kind of plot this stuff on. I like
1: that. Yeah.
0: You know? Yeah, That's definitely. how I'm thinking about it.
1: That makes a lot of sense why that would happen.
0: So then, some of it would resonate with you, and some of it wouldn't. Sure, uh, you know, basically, the the more conservative, the more insular, the yep. more cut off, yep. uh, the more groupish, the yeah. you know stuff like that. Then, then these cult documentaries are going to ring more true yep. for your church experience. Absolutely. But what's interesting about your story is you also had these other sort of healthy and beautiful expressions yeah. that you were aware of at the time.
1: Yeah, and I do, I do feel like. I attribute so much of, you know, feeling adjusted or feeling open to the world. And I don't know, curiosity is due to that so much. Yeah. Imagine
0: if all you had been raised with was that school system with parents who were all bought in.
1: Well, I know many people who had that experience and it's really interesting. I would be curious to see some study about this. Everyone's different, but it does seem to correlate to me. The more you were in, the more you turn tail, you know, like you rebel against, like yeah. it, I've have seen such, you know, yep, if A then B of that experience of the the more intense your structure was in that environment, the more you, you run away from it.
0: Okay. So I, I totally agree. And I have a little theory about that. You want to hear Ooh, it?
1: Please. Yes.
0: So my theory is that when we are raised fundamentalists, Mm -hmm. what we are taught and socialized to believe the real battle is, Mm. is between God's truth and Mm. satanic untruth. Wow. Okay. So the real real battle is between the good guys and the bad guys.
1: Yep. Yes.
0: And so all of our psychological and neurological reward systems Mm. are built on realizing that we are the good guys and that they Ugh. are the bad guys. Oh yeah. Now, if you leave, if, if for some, you know, good reason you leave that community, yep. your default will mm-hmm. be to, you still have the same brain. Yep. Your reward systems are still set up to yep. make you feel good. When you realize that mm-hmm. you are the good guy and they're mm-hmm. the bad guy, mm-hmm. you just switched teams.
1: Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. yes. This is and my experience. if you
0: don't do a bunch of work, That will just be the default. Yep. But what I have come to believe the real battle is against is not we are on God's side, they're on Satan's side. Mm. But rather, there are some people who exhibit Christ-like character. They Mm. exhibit wisdom. Mm. They exhibit discernment. Uh, They are slow to speak and quick to listen. Mm. They will (sighs) consider things before opening their mouth. Or <laughs> tirading on a Facebook ah, comment section. Oh, my God. Right? Like, and it, and yeah. the real battle is between that yeah. and being Ooh. immature.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. not yeah. having
0: the fruit of the spirit. So, so actually the thing that the person raised fundamentalist needs yeah. is not to switch teams. Right. But is actually to like learn something they were systematically denied and yep. taught to ignore, mm-hmm. which is like a lifelong uncertain process of yes. discernment yes. and maturity.
1: It's so interesting that you bring this up because it's some it's one of the things that I was lying in bed at night thinking that this is really relevant to my experience because I think when you grow up as a part of a team that's like one thing that is very like my father-in-law said you know it's a it's a closed system you know there's very defined boundaries to this thing and that that's really you know like my somatic therapist would say that's very regulating for your nervous system to be in line with your Tribe, you know? Yep. Oh, yeah. And so that's a good experience. So then, okay, this isn't working for me anymore. Here I am in my adulthood. There's so much about this that is distorted and wrong for me. So I'm looking for something else. Exactly as you said, I'm looking for that same team sort of feeling. And I will say that in myself, I have seen this happen and I definitely see it with a lot of my female friends who have, you know, come away from this experience. And that is that they look for the exact same thing in righteous liberal feminism like right. and it becomes this exact thing where now oh i get to be self righteous about this now i get to be certain about this now and i get to be right about this now and i oh gosh that is my precious you know like that is that is the that is the thing that i'm constantly noticing in myself is now not only and this is really having to do with this. I feel, I don't know if it was um, Richard Rohr or Rob Bell or whoever said this, but the idea of transcend and include like, That's, you,
0: yeah, it's Rohr, but he he's quoting. I don't, yeah, it's someone it's else. Okay. Yeah. So he might be quoting someone else. I don't know. Okay. It's a great idea though, rather than just yes. kicking it to the curb and flying the opposite direction. Like, right. okay, what was good about that? What can I bring to my exactly. next phase?
1: Because I think that I notice in myself when I'm really paying attention, Oh, I feel, I still feel this wound. I still feel this, you know, pain about that. So whenever I see anything that looks at all like that, my physical reaction is tightness in my muscles and like, kind of like repulsion and sort of, but it's not that person or that thing. It is that I'm responding to what hurts in myself about that. And it's still so activated. I don't feel like I'm to the point where I can go, okay, that's okay. Like someone who is in a religious environment like that to this day, it's so hard for me to witness that, like... They might be having a really great, lovely, healthy experience that isn't all of the things that I experienced, but I I still notice just this like tightening when I when I see it, and I'm I'm just spending time with that and being like, how do I you know work out those feelings so that I'm not then projecting onto everybody else's choices, you know? That's
0: great, yeah.
1: Because. I don't want to then just become the crusader for all of these other things that are important to me now but still be that like very rigid righteous energy about it.
0: I think it's been particularly hard too in the Trump era to yeah. make the move that you just described making because during Trump it has felt like well there's pretty clearly a bad team, right? Yeah. I mean if it was ever, if you have any kind of liberal inclination, like <laughs> Trump and his cronies are like the the biggest target ever. Yeah, like that they, they make e- it easy. the cleanest. <laughs> right, right. And so now that Trump has been uh, mercifully defeated, that will be interesting. And will will yeah. some people need to keep sharing Trump stories on their Instagram and Twitter and stuff so Ooh. that they can keep feeling? Good about themselves? Will Mm. how many people will go, okay, now we've got a little bit of breathing room, let's do this personal work and you know, not default to that tribalism. It will be yeah, it will be interesting to see.
1: That's the work. That's the work that we have ahead of us. I had this experience where I was like, it's so hard to even articulate. I get stopped up when I even try, but just the, those feelings, those activated feelings when I encounter anyone who thinks that he is a good person, right? So many people do. So many.
0: I think everybody thinks, oh, they think he's a good person. Th- That's what I'm saying. No, yeah. thinks they are themselves, but no, oh, yes, they think he that he, that Trump is a good yes, person. Yes. There
1: right. are so many people who think that. And I find myself just like, so locked up about like, how, 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 you know? And it's like, of course, there's all of this, all of these reasons why, and all of this like rhetoric and, you know, single issue voting and blah, blah, blah.
0: But Medi- like, media bubbles, yeah, yes. Echo chambers.
1: All, oh, echo Yeah, Facebook, you know, all of that. Um, but right now, and I had this conversation with my best friend, her parents, particularly her dad, are very, very, very in that camp. And she had this moment of being like, okay. Yes, I feel all these feelings when, and he thinks, he thinks that I'm brainwashed. And so he's trying to protect me. And so she's like, okay, I'm going to be the person to then go, okay, I'm going to put the guard down. And that's the work that I feel like we really do have to do if we're going to move forward from Trumpism.
0: Yeah, it's, it's very complex. I'm not looking forward to that work.
1: Yeah. If I'm honest with myself.
0: (laughs) Nope. Um, It's really funny. One thing I was thinking of earlier when you were saying how you see someone still in that environment that you grew up in at school. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I want to use – I want to take the analogy that I always heard when I was raised evangelical, which is like we see that there's a cliff and all these people are driving at the cliff and we're just trying to like wave the flag and like we're trying (laughs) to help them and stop them from falling off the cliff. And now I'm like – I'm exactly yes. feeling that way about some of those evangelicals. Like, yes. so the the cliff analogy is uh, is not unique right. to a particular religious system. The cliff yeah. analogy is just when people feel strongly about helping someone,
1: yeah. oh, you wow. know, or having
0: them avoid harm. Wow, that's just what it means. That's just yeah. it's a good analogy for that.
1: Yeah, but it's wow. an
0: it's an internal state. Yeah. The analogy itself does not is not an argument for the truth claims of the group, yes, right? Yes.
1: It's, it's so true. And Chris and I talk, my husband and I talk about this a lot, how like when you have something that you, that is unresolved within you, it is so much easier. And not only is it easier, but it's a reflex to seek that out outside of your own body and heart and try to fix it in that person, you know, and It's so interesting how, and I think about this with different friends who, you know, I have a couple of friends who have been in an abusive relationship and you are doing that waving thing where you're like, don't you see like you, this is so destructive to you and I want to save you. And then they go on and on and on and they don't see, and they just continue to be, you know, subjected to whatever. And you can't save them. You, that. You're not going to, you know, rip them from the fiery flames and then everything's fine now. No, it's there and they have to realize within themselves what is happening and extricate themselves from that. And of course, that's not always true. Some some situations are very extreme, but like, same goes for this stuff. Like, we have to heal ourselves. You know, we can't heal ourselves by trying to patch up someone else, I guess is all I'm trying to say.
0: Yeah. So... Let's take a break. Yeah. And when we come back, something that we actually haven't talked about yet at all is what do you believe? Yes. How do you identify spiritually (laughs) or religiously? Some people are like, wait, is she, it sounds like she's a progressive Christian. (laughs) No one has any idea. So you have to get through the commercial break to find out and we'll be right back. Okay. So we could, we could kind of start with like God cool, or we could start sort of more at the periphery with like labels and types of Christianity or not Christianity or spirit, you know, where do you want to start? But I just, I want to get a sense of how you understand it today.
1: I love that. I think that you hit the nail on the head already in that it's all language for me. Like I, I feel as though, you know, a lot of the language is just talking about the same thing and it's the way that it gets expressed And for me, there's certain English words that really don't work. They don't feel free and whole and wonderful. Words like God. Okay. (laughs) Or like, you know, words like just religion, you know, religious in general. And I think I find myself trying to, I think as a songwriter, maybe you relate, like, using the English language to put words to the invisible thing that's happening in your rib cage is like very exciting and alive. And I love doing that. And I also feel like as I, you know, my very beginnings of exiting a Christian experience was recognizing that certain words become so very stale and so very used over and over again, whatever the new thing and it just kind of overstays its welcome, whatever that you know word may be. I'm trying to think of a great example. When I was going to a charismatic church, it was where there were so many different, like buzzy sort of words that felt really alive at first, and then they become so used that they become something else entirely, and they mean something so different. Obviously, the word Christian falls in this category for me.
0: I'm thinking of the word favor in charismatic yeah, that's circles. That's
1: perfect. That is exactly the kind of word. That starts out starts, maybe
0: something like, uh, you know, your presence, God, or, you right. know, be with us, and then eventually ends up like money. Yes. <laughs> Success Perfectly over our put. foes.
1: Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, yes. right? Exactly.
0: Grant our business favor. You mean like against <laughs> the other similar <laughs> businesses in your area? You know? Uh, yeah. So,
1: yes. Okay. Well, precisely. Let me,
0: I think, first of all, we've figured out, we, we've maybe gotten a window into why you're such a better songwriter than I am. But, oh, my God. <laughs> um, moving on from that. So let me let me throw this out here. Here's great. how I define, not define God, okay. but define being a theist versus not a theist.
1: Oh, okay, great. I love it.
0: Here's how I think of it these days. Mm-hmm. To be a theist, to be a Christian in that sense, is to claim that I believe the universe has meaning and purpose and some directionality to it toward goodness, Mm -hmm. as opposed to the common, you know, non-religious view these days that it is meaningless. It is true chance. That doesn't mean that we can't make meaning out of it. That doesn't mean that our lives are meaningless to Mm -hmm. ourselves. Uh It doesn't mean that we can't mutually agree to protect human rights to whatever, yeah. like you can be a secular humanist and you mm. can derive personal great meaning from that. Mm. So I'm not knocking that. I'm not saying that a, a non theist, you know, without God, everything is meaning. I'm not saying that, mm. but I am making the, the robust claim that mm. to be a theist is to say, no, no, no. When it all shakes out, whether or not I am consciously aware of it at the time, so whether or not my consciousness continues in a way that I would recognize sure. that there is, in fact, a good end to this. There is Ooh. that like that stuff matters, capital M, that mm. our moral decisions, mm. our, our ethical decisions, our love and care for each other, for the environment, whatever, it actually matters, mm. not just as the sum of individual preferences, mm. but in some more mm-hmm. real sense. So mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: that would be... How I describe, I believe in God. Great. Is something like that. What, how does that hit you?
1: Yeah, it hits me in a few different ways. I find that I mostly resonate a lot. And words like meaning and purpose feel tricky for me. Um,
0: okay, let's talk about that. Okay. Why?
1: <laughs> I mean, I think that, again, it's looking taking that mirror back to what happened. Yeah. And the trope, everything happens for a reason. Is really problematic for me. 100%. Because the idea that different horrors are being inflicted by a consciousness that is supposed to be benevolent. Of course, this is the classic the classic problem with theism as it has been expressed.
0: Yeah, this is the issue with the deterministic God, especially.
1: Mm-hmm, a God yes. who
0: knows and, and at least allows everything. Right, and doesn't but intervene. at worst... Chooses it.
1: Chooses it. Right. Like, right. and, and a lot there, I just know, I mean, you just hear that all the time. Like, oh, this must be for, you know, like maybe something bad's happening to someone and they go, oh, it must be for my good or worse. This must be a punishment for something I did wrong. Right. right? Yeah. Like that right. sort of connection. you can read a
0: million things into any situation and how do you know you got it right?
1: Right. So, so you saying like, okay, there's a meaning and a purpose is really interesting because naturally the next step is trying to figure out what that meaning and purpose is of the things Mm. that happen. And I have a hard time with that, meaning in the idea that there is this like, there's a being that we recognize as sort of in a way that we would recognize a human being and that that being is having thoughts about what's going on. And now we're trying to guess what those thoughts are in our personal lives. For me, I feel very trapped in that sort of framework when i'm thinking about the things that happen both in my personal life and other people's personal lives and on you know the more macro wait i always mix macro and micro micros close up and macros macros big big. okay yeah Yeah. thank you i'm confused because those cameras do Microscope. Okay, there we go. But then you get a macro lens on the on the camera, and it gets really close up to like flowers and stuff. That's that's, what's confusing to me.
0: That's confusing. (laughs) Photographers have it rough in the micro macro delineation world.
1: Okay, sorry. That's
0: fine.
1: Okay, so I find myself just trying to like, go beyond, again, it's all language, but just kind of go beyond the idea of meaning and purpose. And And I felt like the most true thing that I can just distill everything down to. And I still can't remember if I generated this idea on my own. And then when I saw Rob Bell's Everything is Spiritual, he confirmed some he reiterated something I already felt, or Mm -hmm. if I got the idea from him. So props to Tough to say
0: either way. Cool.
1: But to me, you said the word directional. And that word makes a ton of sense to me because I feel that there are poles. There are two energetic directions you can go and you can go toward goodness, building up, love, creativity, you know, everything that goes against entropy. That's one direction. And that feels like you can participate with that and you can make it bigger and you can, you know, amplify that energy in every tiny, it's both in huge decisions that you make. And it's also in the tiniest, tiniest things. And similarly, you can go the other direction. You can participate in breaking down and crushing and killing, you know, like, and dying. Like, and all I know is that really, that is what it feels like to me is like how, and I'm not like, okay, do no harm. I don't think that that's possible. I like Joseph Campbell's idea of like, no matter what, you're going to do something that's going to have myriad, you know, reactions that you won't be able to control. But to the best of your ability, you know, in every, any given moment, am I participating with this thing? And am I like amplifying that direction that fights Rob entropy? Rob Bell likes
0: to call that direction shalom.
1: Ah, oh, that's a great right. word. Yeah. I love that word. That word is, is so ancient that it it now holds all of the different connotations that yeah. everyone has, you know?
0: So a quick clarification and then a question for you. Great. I want to clarify just just so that I'm understood by you that when I say purpose and meaning, okay. I don't mean it in the everything happens for a reason sense.
1: Okay, cool.
0: I am not, to use the theological lingo, a classic theist. I am an open and relational theist. Oh, can so you define I don't believe that? the, uh, yeah. So open and relational. Open means the future is genuinely open. Cool. That a state of affairs which has not happened yet is by definition unknowable. So mm. God does not know the future because the future is unknowable. Mm. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that God doesn't have like plans and you know whatever, but doesn't know it. And then relational means that God is genuinely impacted by creation so this is as opposed to cool. immutable and immovable, sure in classic theism. so when I say that uh when I say that there is a uh purpose and meaning, uh, directionality is just as good of a word for that. love it. I mean that God's purpose is toward that pole the the creativity mm. and love and mm-hmm. mutuality and collaboration and all that stuff. okay, so that's the clarification cool. just to, because I'm hundred percent with you. Jeffrey and I listened to the audio version of Kate Bowler's book, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies that I've loved Oof, about what a title. her own is fantastic. Okay, uh, wow. Very easy to read, funny, heartwarming, heart ringing as well. She mm. was a scholar studying prosperity gospel. Her first book is a just about the prosperity gospel wow. and then gets cancer and oh. then finds herself drawn to these prosperity gospel ways of thinking about it, but of course finds them
1: uh, lacking. Oh, wow.
0: So incredible. Wow. So I also hate that phrase. Uh, (laughs) And I don't think that God chooses the calamities that happen to us. And so Mm -hmm. that's just a clarification. Cool. My question for you is like, pick a religious figure, whoever you want it to be. Could be Jesus, could be Socrates, could be the Buddha, could be Mm. Ramakrishna, could be Lao Tzu. Mm -hmm. I don't care. Do you think that those people that end up spawning religious movements, Mm. do you think that they have some inclination of this directionality? Or where do you think that that comes from? Do do you think we should listen to them? Just something Mm. along those lines.
1: Yeah, I absolutely do. That's what I mean when I say I think we're all talking about the same thing. I think some people have a tendency to be more ritualed than other people. I definitely fall into the less ritualed category. I feel kind of like chaotic in my head and I don't, you know, very easily maintain routine. And I think that what you're asking is really just like, what do you do with that directional thing in practice on the day to day? And I think that there's something really nourishing about a spiritual practice. And it's going to be you know, specific to your culture, specific to whatever you're reacting to and when you, what you grew up in. And and again, the same thing with language. It's like, oh, this feels new and fresh and I'm seeing this. And again, I have a hard time with the word God because of that inherent personhood that it's awarding the idea. Mm -hmm. It, to me lately, is more just kind of like a thrumming. It's like a, a, and the word energy is annoying too. Like, because The word energy can sometimes connote just a new agey sort of, you know, crystals in the yoga studio sort of thing. And while I find that to be really lovely for myself, I don't, I'm not necessarily trying to align with any one expression in practice. I'm just kind of what I want to do and what I feel like I'm doing is this sort of noticing it's a noticing and of course you should be interested in and in seeking and listening to different teachers and how they the frameworks with which they speak about this thing and i think it's really interesting and exciting to search for and listen to the different ways people talk about this thing and i don't really have a practice necessarily i there are certain things that feel extremely spiritual in my in my, you know, seeking of and curiosity about this thing. And I think that it's going to be different for everybody.
0: Yeah. Okay. A lot of interesting stuff there. A lot of directions to go. One thing I thought of was this quote. It it starts with this guy, like R. Buckminster Fuller. I think maybe he was a poet Mm. or something. Cool. Uh, But the idea is God is a verb, not a noun. Yeah. is Is the phrase. I love that. So I I like this phrase that Philip Clayton, the theologian, uses, which is that he says God is at least personal, Hmm. at least has a mind, but that's Hmm. not, but like, that's not the end of it. Yeah. So I, and I do think that this is a disagreement among religious people or spiritual people of various stripes Hmm. is sort of like, is there anything minded about God? Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that the way that I described it as God having a directionality toward one of those two poles, as you put it, yeah, I think that that does imply a will, mm. that um, that God has a preference mm-hmm. and is luring us toward that preference all the time at every moment, mm. as you said, big decisions, small decisions. Mm-hmm. And we can either respond to that lure or we can ignore it Yeah, to the extent that we have freedom of will in that particular case. So I don't know. That's just, that's kind of where my mind went.
1: It's really interesting because I feel like, like even saying the word mind, like, okay, this is how it feels to me. Everything that I experience in my human form exists and has existed before me. Okay. So this is like, this feels like a little, I'm going to be on shaky legs here trying to say what I'm thinking. So, it has to, ex- the idea of like, okay, I love someone, the feeling of I love someone, or the feeling of I'm afraid, or whatever I'm experiencing in this form that I have. Okay, I'm not the first one to experience it, so it mu- I like the idea of mind insofar as it contains everything. Like, maybe there's, the, there's, a, there's a mind that has contained and, and conceived of the, this experience, so, to me, if it's if we're, you know, personifying a god or the thrumming or whatever it is, then that my experience is included in that. But I wonder if using the English word "mind" isn't limiting, and if maybe this thing is Guinness and God is beer.
0: Sure, uh, although your uh, <laughs> thing. <laughs> Get beer, Guinness. Like all these words will have their own limitation, right? It's like
1: exactly, and even in just trying to put it into a into language, that's the thing that I'm curious about. Like it is nice to hold on to this concrete language, you know, and say, okay, this is how Mm. I'm kind of thinking about this, and that's what's beautiful about poetry. And prose and songs and plays is because it's giving us one other little glint of an angle of this thing, you know, but I, I don't, I, I really just like to think about it as there's always probably more than I can know.
0: There has to be. I mean, I think if you, the minute you stop thinking that there's more than you can understand you're... (laughs) idiot yeah uh and probably (laughs) narcissistic or something or tremendously anxious Uh and that's your only way that you are aware of to get out of it i don't know okay so let me ask you this. got a little
1: in the weeds there no it's okay
0: because you know we can we could sit with these abstract concepts sort of indefinitely Mm. but for me I end up getting bored. Not I'm not getting bored right now, but I just mean <laughs> I end Check up place. sort of asking, "So what?
1: Yeah. Um, yes, yes, like, yes, yes.
0: Where yes. will it affect my life? Yeah, yeah." And so, one of the things that I have sort of, at least for the time being, and at least for the last fifteen years or so, have realized is that you know I'm going to pursue this within the Christian tradition.
1: Wow, you've transcended you know, I, and included.
0: Yeah. Yes, and or I'm in the process of it still of doing mm-hmm. that, and you know it keeps making changes, and I keep kind of finding myself further to the left. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it feels like I'm at the lefternmost edge uh, of that tradition, <laughs> but then in Left-ern other ways, like good. actually having Soren, I think, has been a sort mm-hmm. of a centerizing force. Wow. In terms of like recognizing the limits of his language. And so, being comfortable singing "Jesus loves me with him," and uh, Ooh, these kind of wow. really basic things that that we'll unpack more later, yeah, as he is able, you know, wow, also, I change the lyrics of "They are weak, but he is strong, I say they feel weak, Ooh. but he is strong, yeah, I don't like that uh See, and of course we're
1: you're doing this songwriting language thing <laughs> in real yeah, time that's
0: true, <laughs> but uh you know so. I guess this is too much of a windup for the question, which is, mm. do you think that something is lost mm. or gained by either like claiming one of the traditions mm. as like, look, this is where I'm, this is what I'm in as I pursue the thrumming, which is, yeah. that sounds like a Rob Bell word or is that your word? I don't know. I love that. Thrumming is a great word. <laughs> the, the deep vibration yeah. of the cosmos. Yep. Towards love, or I mean, that's I'm how sure I'm sure it's Rob the word. Bell.
1: I'm sure that I, I, I pilfered that from him. Yeah.
0: Thrumming's great. Yeah. Um, so I'm either going to do this in this tradition, or I'm going to be open to whatever makes sense or seems to have a a gleam of truth to it mm-hmm. in any tradition. Great as I pursue the thrumming, yeah, and as I pursue going to the good pole and not the bad pole, yeah. What do you think is at play mm-hmm. in the decision of, of which of those to do?
1: Mm. Well, I think that you talking about Soren really, I think that does change it. I, I'm Chris and I want to become parents, and that's something that we've thought a lot about and, and very unaltruistically just an experience that we want to have. And um, I think it's a
0: great reason, actually. <laughs> it's my main reason I tell people is like, Do it to experience the fullness of human life.
1: Yeah, 100%. Not there's no (laughs) there's no like, you know, bigger thing. But um, in my just me, I'm an individual and I'm not yet having any dependence or anybody looking to me. Mm -hmm. I feel completely comfortable with just enjoying little bits from here and there and like having my eyes open and noticing new things and that yeah I have thought a lot about and Chris and I do talk about like if and when that can happen and we do become someone's parent, how we've f- helped them explore that and i and I do wonder if we wouldn't I'm not at the place where I could use any of the evangelical Christian language and not feel you know wrong about that yet I don't know maybe someday i i had <laughs> my best friend one she uh was hanging out with this friend who, who became a pastor of this church and she went to this church and she was like, wow, it was so great. I walked away from that experience and it was this really wonderful you know, service where the woman was the pastor and you know, this whole thing. And she yeah. was like, and I was just like, wow, I want to do a regular thing with my family where we go somewhere and we take in ideas and we do something together. Oh, wait.
0: <laughs> oh, wait. I ha- I know how to do that. It's church. I know
1: church. how to do that. Exactly. Right. Like, And I, I, I cannot imagine taking my children to church. I can't right now. It just That's makes true. my skin crawl to imagine that. But I also anticipate wanting to find some concrete thing to offer a brand new being, you know, for them to feel safe within.
0: If you accept the fundamental claims of feminist theory that a lot of meaning and morality is socially constructed. Go on. Then it does seem like (laughs) once you have children, the environment that you raise them in Mm. will be largely determinative of their values. Yeah. And so if that's true, then where I find myself going Mm. is like, all right, are we going to start from scratch and think that we'll get it better than <laughs> some version of the Christian tradition right. that resonates with us, you know, mm. or any other tradition for that matter. Right. Like, y- y- you know, like,
1: yeah. I just
0: think, oh, what are the odds that we do it better? Right. Like, you know, kind of winging it. Yeah. Uh, sure. Low. I mean, you know, like, maybe.
1: Yeah. We well, could like,
0: do better. And I it's hard. What does better mean? You know, it's not a that's not yeah, a straightforward yeah. argument, but.
1: I like what you said. You're like, okay, we're going to start here. We're going to start simple. We're going to start with these words and then we'll continue to engage with that. That seems like what's important to me is, okay, everybody has to have a starting point and then you have a conversation with that thing. It's a dynamic interaction. And I feel like if you as the parents are creating a space where there's dialogue and an aliveness happening, I think that's my big issue is like, I just don't want to go somewhere where some dusty old, you know, dogma becomes relied upon for everything and it's and you can't breathe with it, you know?
0: Let me ask you this, just from like a personal perspective. So you described this church that your friend went to. Mm-hmm. You know that churches like that exist. You know that there are churches with rainbow flags. You live in Portland. Yeah. Right? So... Let's say that a friend in tomorrow, let's say COVID's over and Mm -hmm. it's normal, you know, or the vaccine is spread and we're, you know, you could go in person you don't have to wear a mask. It's a regular service. Yeah. And someone says, hey, Natalie, we've really been loving this Episcopal church down the street. Mm -hmm. There is a lesbian head pastor. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's multiracial, whatever. (laughs) Fill it out. However you, whatever Uh they could say. Okay. That would be your, that would be the ticket. Yeah. And then you imagine walking, like driving to church, <sighs> walking in, beating. sitting in the... Pe- okay, yeah. so this is where I'm trying to get at. <laughs> yeah. So describe to me, there's no theological problem. There's no right. sort of moral problem. But what is? what are the barriers in your body yeah. as I describe that to you?
1: Mm. Um, yeah, I think that it's so hard to put for, to words it's so physical. It is so reactive. It is not responsive. It is like, it's hard for me to conceive of, I think that's just it. It's, it's, I have such a acute awareness of what I don't want that it's so difficult for me to envision something I do want within the literal, you know, beams of a building that's doing, a spiritual practice aligning with Christianity.
0: But it's interesting because you guys did something with Rob Bell. Was it just like an interview mm-hmm. or did you go to one of his like shows?
1: I've been to, yeah. I, did um, you guys
0: open up for him? Did you like yeah, play shows with him? We did a him? couple okay.
1: things. Yeah. At his Christmas shows and okay. he's become a buddy. I, I, okay, go on. What are you saying? about I'm just that? saying
0: <laughs> those, those took place in a building. So I'm wondering. More like a TED w- talk though. Okay, but great. So let's start there. Yeah, like we and we don't have to do this, no, this if you great. don't this want to. I love
1: it. I never talk about this outside. But of what's like the with difference?
0: Chris. So okay, so yeah. it's a it's more of a TED talk in a building where uh-huh. the the format is we expect this person to speak for a while yeah. and we're going to glean wisdom from them, but we're not going to sing any worship songs,
1: right? Wor- is it that hmm. he
0: doesn't have the authority of a pastor? But of course, yeah. he does in millions of people's minds. Oh, yeah, including have- the people in the room.
1: I have no problem with teaching in general. I seek out teaching. I listen to podcasts. Yeah. I'm reading books. Like, right. I love that. I want to have spiritual teachers in my life. That's not the yeah. problem that I have. Singing worship songs, I don't know if I will ever be able to do that again. It is so rife with emotions for me. With, on just like, you know.
0: Let's, can we drill down there? <laughs> can we drill?
1: Woo! Um, okay. You can say no. Yeah, no, we, okay. This is where I'll start. Okay. Okay.
0: Yes, go. You you go.
1: Okay. So I'm taking this class about the chakras and it's been really interesting. And the the class is actually just an embodiment class and it's using through the framework of chakra and like, okay, this is where we kind of see this ethereal out of body thing existing in your physicality. And the one that we just did was your, your throat, your like, I don't know what number it is. And we had this really interesting discussion in the class because everyone was discussing singing. And that happens to be something I have the privilege to do on a regular basis is being in a large group of people singing together because, you know, our beautiful audience whom I love will like sing at the top of their lungs with us on these ideas of like, you know, don't give up and I'm okay and, and love and like all of this stuff. So I'm getting this experience on a regular basis, and it's not predicated by the idea that, you know, Like, I do think we are connecting to the thrumming, like, in a major way in that experience. Me too. 100%. But it's not like one person is saying, and I represent the voice of that deity, and not only that, but I... Oh man, oh my gosh, I could go so many directions, but I will say because like the the language in worship songs is so difficult and so there I have so many things come up for me in basically every song I've ever heard. But that said, in the chakra class, someone was bringing up how she missed her experience of singing in church. And Kendra, who is the therapist who leads the class was saying well yeah, like I said nervous system regulation happens mm-hmm. when you she was like your initial, you know, evolution in your humanity starts by being am I okay with my parents? Am I safe with my parents? You look to your parents, then you look to the community. And when you are at one, you know, there's this unifying experience your body relaxes because her whole framework is somatic, you know, nervous system stuff. So she's like, yeah, that is what happens. We get to do that with live music. And
0: I wonder if your audience actually experiences it more than you do as the performer though.
1: That's interesting. Going
0: to a show I think is closer to that than being the band and having been on both sides of that, of course myself.
1: I will say that the experience of our particular, you know, you know, discography or whatever you want to say, like the, the songs have a lot of like declaration in them and a lot of kind of speaking over, you know, like we have songs where I have to say, I'm not going to give up. And I have to, I have to sing it at the top of my lungs. And I have to scream it. it it. I have to mean it. I do. And it's a really interesting thing to use your physical being to, kind of declare certain things, even when you don't necessarily feel that. And oh, that's interesting. And I love that. I feel very lo- like I, it's I a spiritual practice. It's it is you're right. It mm-hmm. is it's a discipline. And I thought like I had this thought one time when I was listening to that band daughter and she has this song where she is talking about this ending of a relationship and she repeats the phrase you caused this. And it's this, it's such an important like thing to experience when when you you need to release that anger and that betrayal and everything but i always thought how hard that would be on your heart and your mind to have to dwell and repeat and 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 say with fervor every night you caused this like it's such a yeah
0: it, you got you got grateful for your own lyrical right the choice themes yeah
1: and it's i mean it's important to write songs that that work out the emotions of pain in that way you know but yeah or
0: to walk through your uh adrenaline rush when i tell you about walking into a church <laughs> <laughs> gotta work that shit out
1: Ooh, hoo, hoo! lot
0: there it, it makes me think actually that like i think i enjoyed not being the lead singer uh, of sherwood that mm. didn't have to show up in that way mm. and i would say that If we want to call that experience of like maybe ego disillusion or something like that, that we can sometimes have even as the performer with the audience. We had those experiences, you know, and but I would think of them as for me, they were the exception, not the rule. And I was there was a lot of ego involved in what made it fun to play those shows. Totally. You know, there's of course that there are the times when all that drips away and you are one big unit with the crowd, Mm
2: -hmm. but that's
0: not most of it. And then not being the singer too also gave me an additional layer of remove from that. Yeah. So it's interesting to hear your, your kind of your differential experience there.
1: Yeah. And I think the difference between, you know, the understanding and the contract that everyone knows going into a live show is like, all I'm saying as the person leading this moment is this is my experience. And in order to be a worship leader, you have to be like speaking for something bigger is how it feels to me it's like
0: i want to think i want to think about that more i don't i've never thought about what i actually think the sort of social contract is and how it's different that's a really interesting question but i'm going to have to i want to just i want to say to listeners I think that an episode will come out before this with Jim Wellman, who's a researcher up here in Seattle at UW Hmm. about the, the book he wrote on mega churches and he did extensive research, him and two or three others. And like, that's just a unique pairing. He found, Uh. they found that like they work. (laughs) Yeah. They work for people and they have like tangible, measurable benefits similar to what your, your therapist is saying around the, the, the somatic stuff of the you know your nervous system and yep. and what it does for your body when you can when you can be subsumed into the hive.
1: Uh-huh, uh huh. Exactly. As uh,
0: Jonathan Haidt quoting Emile Durkheim talks about, like the we're ninety percent ape and ten percent bee, and ten percent of the time mm-hmm. we become part of a beehive. Wow. And that's actually yeah. a really important regulatory Absolutely. process for our bodies. Yep. And how will you replace that? If you leave church, well, Mm. people will go to protests or marches or they will, they'll go to concerts or they'll do something. They'll go to CrossFit. They will go to, you know, it's like a good life has some of that, whether it's 10%, whatever the percent is, right? Absolutely. Has some of it for, for most people. It's interesting.
1: Yeah. There's, (laughs) I'm holding myself back because it's just such a, (laughs) I mean, you could talk about worship music for hours.
0: Let's do, we haven't, you know, we actually haven't talked about it much on this podcast. Why, why don't you let, okay, here's a way in. Okay. I <laughs> uh, Do you know John Van Dusen? The, Not
1: personally, but I love his music. I love okay. that one album in so, particular.
0: So uh, the first of the three last ones, the universal um,
1: It has universal the green side. like kind of arrow on the, it has the song about, I don't want to live here, love here or die here. And it has like, oh, go yeah. out, turn off the song, go outside. Oh,
0: the Lonely Forest record. Anos. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, okay. Yes. So he is now a solo artist. Yes. And he actually is the first interview of the little series that you were supposed to be a part of, yeah. of interviewing musicians <laughs> about Christian stuff. I have become enamored with his last three records. Okay, I have records. not
1: spent any time with them.
0: You will text me later and okay. thank me. Wow. But the second of these records is a straight up. It's a it's a gospel. It's a praise and worship record. Whoa. You might want to skip that one yeah. to start. Yikes. It is like there are songs on there that I don't identify with, hmm. right, like in my current moment, mm-hmm. but I have come around to the record as a whole because it's just so damn good. Yeah. But like there's a song with this repeated refrain of like, I will praise your name, Yahweh, Yahweh. Okay. <sighs> All right. Yes. You're, you're breathing heavy. This is exactly what I want to do. My
1: shoulders went up.
0: I "I will praise your name. Yahweh. Yahweh. How do you feel that I just sang that?
1: Dang it. What's going on? It's a really nice melody. It's a good melody. Yeah. Oh, uh, um, how do I feel? Uh, I think I feel on guard. I feel like I am defending something hmm. immediately. And I think who I'm defending is my 12 year old self.
0: Are you also defending your brother? Because you mentioned him at the very beginning that he had all these questions. Uh, and in the church context, he was not, yeah. he was really squashed. My, my assumption is that in the other two contexts, the ecumenical Christian friends and mm. Paul Young, mm. that he was not so squashed, no. that they probably yeah. enjoyed the questions. But I'm wondering if you're also defending mm. his experience uh, as well as your own.
1: Yeah, I feel very defensive. That makes me emotional for sure, because it really, I have, I have a lot of anger about how both he and my sisters were treated <clears throat> in different ways. For yeah. sure. Yeah, 100%.
0: It seems like righteous anger to me. (laughs) Do you think God's angry if God exists and has a mind and (laughs) has a preference?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If it's, if we know and have experiences of what a good paternal energy might be, or a good maternal energy might be, Mm -hmm. that protective parental believing in someone's safety and in their best. Yeah, Absolutely. That person is protective and, and angry about manipulation and all the things that happened for sure.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry for leading you into such emotional no. life territory. I love
1: that you asked that. That's so, it's so it's interesting that you did because I do feel like so much of the work of making peace with healing yourself has to do with encountering yourself as a child and the innocence of that and the way that that person moved through the world and didn't have a lot of agency and choice and what happened. But the second that you brought up my actual family, you know, like it's like, oh, I'm, I can access my feeling of love and, and protection over them like very quickly. And it, it takes a lot more to kind of think about your own self as that innocent person, you know, against the elements.
0: Can I ask you, let's, let's get a little more abstract here for a second. Why the lyrics, I will praise your name, Yahweh, Yahweh. What, like (laughs) the reason I chose that is it is like as generic as it comes in terms of like content. Yeah. I will praise your name, God. You could literally, every single religion Mm -hmm. has some, you know, whatever. Yeah. So that's why I chose that one. Great. I love it. So that's, there's an interesting disconnect there, right? It seems.
1: I would never say to you, Dan, I I will praise your name, Dan Coke. Like,
0: but I'm not God, right?
1: I know. But what that language is so stiff. Like, why are we interesting? Why is that the thing that we're saying? And also I'm not saying, making an argument for this, you know, Bethel Hillsong thing where they do use more colloquial, you know, sort of phrasing, but it, What does that mean? Like, I would rather say, I would rather read a Mary Oliver poem and feel worshipful, you know, about the wild geese and the, and the crawling on your hands and knees, like the soft belly of the animal you are like that to me is magic. That is God. That is, you know, that is reflective of my human experience. And I, everything inside me sings when I think about that. And for me, I will praise your name, Yahweh, Yahweh. Feels not only stale, but representative of manipulation.
0: Okay, interesting. Couple things here. Yeah. <laughs> Number one, have you ever considered writing some of those songs? Because it strikes me you it's it's one thing to say I'd rather read a Mary Oliver poem, who's like one of the greatest living poets. Yeah. So yeah, no big deal. Mm-hmm. I I'd rather <laughs> Like, what is this Thomas Kincaid bullshit? I'd rather look at a Van Gogh. Yes. Why can't we just look at a Van Gogh? Well, okay, but, you know, you yeah. can make a print of a Van Gogh, but if you want to create a new piece of art mm. as good as Van Gogh, that's a tall order.
1: I love that you just brought up Thomas Kincaid because my sister-in-law, Rainey, actually, used, she, I loved this conversation I had with her one time. And she was like, Thomas Kincaid," and she's, you know, she studied art in, in school, is lying to me.
0: Oh totally yeah.
1: And she was like the image and the experience that he is providing is so fantastical that I feel offended because it doesn't reflect or represent what's actually happening in my in my human experience. And her thought is like and I'm obviously, you know, not quoting her perfectly, but she was like I want to create like an art that reflects something that's true. Not like sort of this sort of like for like ambitious you know trying to get something that isn't real
0: but the the deeper you go into sort of poetics and just beautiful art yeah you start to have a class drop off so there are people for whom the appreciation of that That's art is not possible Totally. Because of their education, totally their, uh whatever, their exposure to fine art. Sure. The thing about I'll praise your name, Yahweh, Yahweh, there are two things about it. One is the language there is at least 3,200 years old. Yeah. And goes all the way back to early Israelites who had their own songs. Mm-hmm. And another thing is it is completely unifying in that literally anybody can understand it. People with mental disabilities, Mm. people with no education, people who can't read or write. Mm. It puts me in mind of something that I I love about some of the most basic Christian devotional practices Mm. in Madame Guyon's book, Experiencing the Depths of Jesus Christ. She's a 19th century nun, Mm. mystic.
1: Mm. Love the mystics.
0: The the first chapter of her book is like uh, the intro to her her basic, I don't remember if it's the first or second or third, whatever within the first three chapters, she has a chapter that is like, this is the basic it's centering prayer. If you've heard of that, it's like a, mm, a basic yeah. method for coming into God's presence. Then the next chapter is, and here is a version for the, the illiterate. So find oh. someone who can read this chapter to you and you can learn it. You don't need to be able to read.
1: Mm. The inclusivity angles. Really interesting. Yeah.
0: I'm getting goosebumps now because I'm like, oh my mm. God, that is the f-ing Christianity that I'm about yeah. right there. Yeah. That's when I get pumped. Yep. So I have these two things competing. There is mm. the Mary Oliver poem, mm. the Padra Gaut- Autama, the, you know, whatever, the Thomas Lynch, the Annie Dillard. Yeah. And then over here, there's the fact that. Most people can't really appreciate those things. they're they don't have the cultural experience and exposure, yeah. Oh, yeah, and so then, what do we do with that?
1: Okay, No, okay. So I actually would put Mary more in the category of this inclusive side because what I've come to realize is like I definitely am drawn to aspirational sorts of expressions that make me feel smart and like I can grasp something, of course. Oh
0: yeah. Of, oh yeah. Duh. Get that ego rub. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Love it. Oh yeah.
1: However, I think, and, and I, especially through the practice of songwriting, I encounter that part of myself trying to sound smart. Right. And I realize over and over again that that is not the way. And I find that the most compelling lyric poem and this is why i do actually think mary oliver is much more accessible than say like you know emily dickinson or something you need to take a class to sort of unpack the best put things are the things that cut to your core in the most efficient and simple way possible like i just had this experience of, of trying to write this song and it was like i was trying the song was about what should I do with all of the badness in the world? Somehow this is the song that I thought I should try and tackle. And I wrote all of these lyrics (laughs) that are like, like, I think the first lyric I wrote was like, okay, the world's going to cave in, but I'm going to save it just by waking up. And I was like, oh, that's kind of fun play. Like being a- awake and, and like, yeah. And it's the whole idea is like, I can participate in even just my one person individual thing can help make the world a better place. Yeah. Like that was my thought. And the more I listened to it, the more false it felt like hmm. the more wrong. And just like, I can't say this honestly. And I'm not kidding you. I probably wrote that course six times until I got to love is flowing and I want to get in it. That's it. And it's like how I, I'm, I'm just saying all that to agree with you so much and say like in our pursuit of talking about this human experience that is both intangible and the most tactile thing ever, we have to find language that. We're just trying to connect. We're just all trying to connect. And like, you—if you want to connect, you have to say it with, you know, economy and straightforwardness and plain speaking. And I think the best songs and poems do that. They don't try to go above our heads.
0: Yeah, that's great. And I I think of someone like Jason Isbell, who Mm. is, in my mind, probably the best American living songwriter, Mm. pound for pound. um, You know, line. Line and melody for line and melody, yep, he's definitely up there, and his stuff is not convoluted. it's not right. high and mighty, but the craft it takes to get there
1: exactly
0: right, right, so that's that's good, so then I guess I'm waiting for the day when you will take your skills and apply them <laughs> but, to devotional music but of some Dan, kind.
1: I feel like we have that's how I consider oh, the okay. music that we a lot of it, like some of yeah. some of the music, some of the songs we write are very like confessional diary, just like, this is the truth of my life. I'm in my head getting ahead of myself. And then other songs are, I'll lift up my eyes to the sky. I will, you know, or like, I'm, I, where does my
0: help come from?
1: I mean, yeah, that's straight. Like, (laughs) and that's why many people are like, Oh, you guys, you know, that we've had many people categorize us, um, because, as a Christian band because of these nods to certain language that comes from the tradition that we grew up in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, let me, let me try and pull this all together yeah, and see if I so can, good. if I can get the 30,000 foot view here. Okay. Because <laughs> one thing I like to do at the end of these episodes is like, figure out what about God we both believe in, or one of us does and one of us doesn't or whatever. Okay, Great. So I like to kind of do a little accounting. Great. I think that in terms of our orientation toward the good and mm-hmm. the sort of moral directionality of the universe, we are in agreement. Yeah, I agree. I'm calling that God. So insofar as you would accept my definition, we both believe in that God. Yeah. But you don't yeah. like the word God no. because you have a different relationship with the way that these words are used than I do. It seems like Yeah, that that's a distinction that seems to be there. Yeah, that feels true. So the content of the belief in that's in that kind of basic sense of how I described the broader language I would use to, to say a godded a Goded universe and a no God mm. universe we're agreeing, but we don't, we wouldn't want to use the same terminology that's around it.
1: How I feel. Yes. Yeah.
0: Okay. So that's good. The next big uh, thing, and if I'm using language from my um, assessments class, the next core Ah, theme—ah, yes—is your own personal trauma around the expressions of Christianity that you're familiar with.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm.
0: and that that actually seems to me to be the biggest limiting factor for you, the biggest cause of negative symptoms and you know, adrenaline rushes in the bad way. Oof, and yeah, right. Yep, You've just got trauma there and you're working on it yep. and you're going to therapy and you are paying attention to it. Yep. And I think that's awesome. And it's just not, you just haven't worked through it yet.
1: Yep. It's still very activating. Yep, exactly. And I'm, and I'm pursuing the experience with, you know, the thing <laughs> through different, you know, different languages and different avenues.
0: Yeah, and so what what I think is interesting about that is that I think to the extent that we disagree, it's actually less cognitive. Mm. It's more that because of our differential experiences, we are pursuing it in a different way at this point in our lives. Yeah, that is ex- I love that summation. I agree. As as a, tr- a psychologist in training and having talked to you a little bit about like, you know, wanting to have kids and all that stuff. Yeah. I would say my hope for you isn't so much that you would sort of come on board with what Jaffrey and I, you know, think is true or something like that. Mm. More that I wouldn't want all things equal. I don't want any parent to have a legitimate path of setting up a moral framework for their kids blocked off artificially by bad experiences.
1: I love that. I totally agree. Because, like you said, it's not – Whether or not Soren's going to go to therapy, it's what it's going to be about. And I think about that so much. Like, I do not want to overcorrect and put on to my children, eventual children, potential children, you know, the idea that, oh, the team's thing. Actually, those are the bad guys over there. Yeah. That would be so oh, way to bring harmful. That, back that would be so harmful and and I just noticing that within myself, I feel yes, I I appreciate that hope for me and and agree with that and say I really do want to be able to find some kind of what we are for and not just always be living out of what we are against.
0: It seems to me like you actually are able to pursue spiritual practices right now that are not in the Christian tradition, like the chakra stuff. Yeah. Somatic therapy, mm-hmm. to the extent that I understand it, which I, I haven't learned a ton about it, that is not really a religious thing, but it's right. it's got some of that mindfulness kind of Eastern yep. vibe to it, mm-hmm. which also has a ton of um, empirical backing, by the way, Ah, uh, as a therapeutic approach. Perfect. Um, but- <laughs> To me, the difference there is not that, oh, it's that Natalie really just needs Eastern stuff. It's that Mm. it doesn't carry with it the traumatic baggage
1: of the Christian stuff. Exactly, 100%. So
0: long-term, I don't particularly have uh, a horse in the race of if that thing that you end up finding and or raising your kids with is in the Christian tradition or something else. I guess I'm just saying it would be great to have the christian tradition be an option for you if that would be best.
1: I love that. It's r- you know what I mean? yeah, it's like making the menu bigger instead of right. <laughs> Instead I want
0: of- the cheesecake yeah. factory for your family. <laughs> oh, that makes it Talk sound about awful. aspirational. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's cool. Yeah, I think that we've Great. Well, we've come to uh we've come to some a place there.
1: Oh, so good. And I had
0: a lot of fun along the way. Me
1: too. It really it's a gift to be able to, I, I'm a verbal processor and pandemic Obviously. makes it harder for that.
2: That's
0: true.
1: We like had a distance dinner with my parents and I, I walked away and I was like, I think I just opened up a fire hose of thoughts and feelings <laughs> and like, I didn't hear anything from them. Um, yeah. so anyway, this is a gift for me to be able to kind of air out and think through and look at outside my own brain, a lot of these feelings and thoughts and, and, and it's a gift to Chris too, because he's usually the only recipient and sounding (laughs) board.
0: (laughs) I know what it's like to be, I told Jeffrey, like I have my mouth on your exhaust pipe, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Whatever waste product
2: oh, God. is
0: formed by the way you think you have to act out in the world, yeah. then I get all the byproduct of that yeah. because I'm safe, you know?
1: Yeah, 100%. Which is
0: part of marriage. That's part oh, yeah. of being a loving companion. I, I just want to – this is maybe something to flag more for listeners, but I think you'll find it interesting too. As I go down the path of this spiritual and religious abuse research, mm. one of the really interesting sort of theological questions – that you have to ask yourself is what do we think is required of survivors Go on. of this kind of stuff? And so from a theological perspective, like when and how readily are we comfortable with people piecing out after how much abuse, after how much, mm. uh, you know, sort of internal traumatic response, like when are they sort of off the hook? In terms of their own culpability, if we think that people, if we think that people are responsible for, you know, their decisions, and to the extent that engaging in one's faith community is a a good decision, sure, um, you know, in a non coercive environment, right? Mm-hmm. But to the extent that people are precluded from that by harms done to them, as in your case, mm-hmm. like where do we draw the line? Michelle Panchuk, who's a, a philosopher, this is kind of her her angle on this stuff is like. Yeah. Are, when are people justified in like piecing out? And I, I would just say I have a very accommodating kind of perspective on that. Hmm. Like, I don't think anybody should ever be rushed back to anything. Yeah. But yeah, I, I do still find myself like, well, it'd be great if it was an option eventually. You know, that's still better. Yeah. All things equal.
1: That's int- The word justified was interesting that you just used. Like, to me, and tell me what I'm hearing you say is kind of like oh this is kind of a responsibility to be a part of a faith community and it's and you need to like explain yourself if you're not doing that that's kind of what i got from the word justified in that moment yeah
0: that's good so i mean i'm i'm just using it because it's the kind of word that like philosophers would use in terms of like morally justified or whatever okay uh, but i think the context that she's coming from if i understood her paper is like a lot of christians and i actually am not one of these but a lot of christians believe that you know we're we're sort of on the hook for our salvation insofar as grace is a free gift but we have to receive it oh yeah we have to choose that now i do believe that we choose it Mm -hmm. uh, but i'm a universalist so i don't think that anybody doesn't get it in the end so in that sense i don't have the stakes those stakes are not there for me i'm pretty sure that's kind of what what she meant and perhaps someday i'll I'll get her on the show to talk about it but you know of like Whatever it is that we are responsible for, which I do think we're responsible for whatever is within our power. Mm. And that's the question is like, just how much freedom is there in our will? Mm. I think it's less than we tend to think, but I think it's more than determinists tend to think. Okay, You know, like, so we are responsible for, we have to be responsible for our actions that we can actually choose. Sure. I, it's It's so, it's not so much like, participation in the religious community, Mm. once you frame it that way, you're obviously being abusive and (laughs) and like controlling.
1: Okay, good, same page. But if
0: it's (laughs) responding to God and God's lure to the good, then I think you're responsible for that insofar as you're capable of responding.
1: Yeah, and I think it's really interesting because what I'm trying to parse out is like, are you talking about like, you're responsible for having a personal practice so that you can have the fullness of life. Like one thing that, right, that yes. Paul used to say a lot when we would, cause he's a universalist as well. And he would say, well, I don't know if he would use that label. I think he would, but,
0: but that's kind of the thing with the shack other right. than God's a black woman, which probably did its own.
1: Oh yeah. That infuriated so many. of, others, of yeah. the yeah. 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 But he would, he would say in conversations like, you know, Oh gosh, I don't, I feel like I've blocked Bible verses from my mind, but the one that's like, one day every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. Still, yeah. the greatest pleasure remains for those who gladly serve you now. Okay, so like that idea of like what what I'm what I'm getting from the thing that you just said was like, hey, you need to be doing this because I and that's just a familiar script that I have mm-hmm. had in my life of like you need to be reading your Bible, you need to be doing this practice, you need to be going to church. But like instead, it's like, oh, the responsibility lies in are you gonna show up to your life and try to and seek and try to have a rich experience and create goodness for the people around you. Like that is, I I wouldn't even, I I even have a trigger against the word responsibility in that. Like I would even say Mm -hmm. like your, that's what you can bring to the world, you know?
0: Yes. I think that for me, where it becomes toxic is when there is an unearned authority. There we go. Okay, in yep. the top-down kind of a thing. Yep. Um, the, the simplest example being like, this is what the Bible says when, in fact, it's on a question of which there are many interpretations of the Bible. Yes. That's the most straightforward example. Yeah. And then you think, okay, so are you either unaware of them and ignorant or aware of them and headstrong? Is that the word? Sure, yeah. yeah. Headstrong, I'll take you on. <laughs> um, wow. Uh,
1: Good one from so, the vault.
0: That's like that's the abusive angle. There, yeah. uh, is sort of it's in the abuse of power. But
1: here's whereas yeah.
0: an accurate leader would say, "This is what our church believes and does." Yeah, but there are other churches, and see how different that feels.
1: Yeah, I think everyone like, has a responsibility to
0: themselves. So exactly. So for yeah. me, it's like, look, I know what happens when I have a regular sort of meditative prayer practice. Mm. I the jury's not fucking out. Yeah. Okay. You see I know what it does. <laughs> and yeah. I'm not pursuing that right now. And I could be, and I am, I nobody's going to, I'm not going to – God's not going to slap me on the wrist or anything. Um, I'm not going to go to hell. Okay,
1: I love but this. But like yeah. I'm
0: responsible for the fact that I'm aware that I could be doing it and I'm not doing it. Yeah. And I would love Soren better. I'd love Jaffrey better. I would make better work. Yeah. All these things would be better if I did it.
1: Yes. Okay, this is great because I feel like marriage is a really great stage to to play out this this thought. Because hundred like it's not just, you know, that it's – like I think – this is exciting to me. Okay, Let's say you, <laughs> let's say you're like, okay. okay, okay. When I eat sugar, a lot of sugar, I, bec- I get in a bad mood. Okay. When mm-hmm. I, when I don't exercise or whatever, I am, I'm less. If I have, you know, a couple drinks, like for the five nights in a row, like I feel bad, you know, I'm kind of in this, hate. you know, it's like a cloudy right. kind of thing. I will say this. We have an ethos in our relationship Of no policing whatsoever, zero. And it is so good. I feel so much freedom because I existed in this system where I was observed and measured and policed and watched.
0: 100%. And
1: that just drills me into the ground. I have no motivation for vitality and life and goodness. Like being in a partnership where I know that he's not like keeping score and keeping track of that stuff. But I am, I am personally my motivator. Like that is everything to me, and I think that that the nuance of that, and just kind of what you were saying about like if someone's justified for not keeping up with their personal practice, like in in this is all of these things, all of these health things. Like I'm in charge of being healthy and vital, and in, until I'm like okay, now I'm addicted to opiates or something, like it's up to me to be you know, encouraging myself in that way and not up to someone around me to be making sure that I'm in line with like the highest self.
0: A hundred percent. Recently, the one way I've been thinking about Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Is like, there are kind of two main, two main premises to it. Mm. One is this is what God's like. Mm. And two is, this is what a real human life is like. Mm. or a real human society sure. of which is composed of human lives. Mm-hmm. And so what God's like is loving. God is a loving mother and a, God is also the the mother hen mm-hmm. who uh you know watches after her chicks and God is the shepherd who goes after the one sheep when the 99 are fine. Mm. God is the woman who searches her whole house for the coin that mm. she lost. Mm. God is the the father in the prodigal son story. Mm. Who, you know, tells the legalistic, uptight, bitch older son, everything I have has always been yours and you just weren't aware of it. Oof. There's no favoritism here. Yeah. You know? That's what God's like and, and what it's like in the world when people are at, are like God mm-hmm. is you know, the lion lays down with the lamb, there's no competition, yeah. there's no war, yeah. nobody is stressing out about having enough. Mm. And what a individual life looks like in the kingdom of heaven is flourishing. health. I mean, that's another word for it. To pull this all full circle, I don't think, and I've, let me put it this way. The thing I'm most sad for you currently Mm -hmm. is that you don't have a free, you don't have an unconstrained path to that stuff in Jesus's teachings in life. I would hope that someday that can be reclaimed for you because I just mm. like, I, even if Christianity is not the most true religion, mm-hmm. which of course I have no way of determining <laughs> right. if it is. Right. Even if that's whatever, that's fine. Yeah. Even if that's true. Mm-hmm. I'm not personally as a Western Christian raised man yep. living in America, yep. mm-hmm. I'm not going to switch to Buddhism and do it better than yeah. the sermon on the Mount. Yeah. I'm not going to get there. Sure. Like, there are some people who probably do need to do that and they convert. And I think God is happy about that. That's probably not going to be me. So like, this is what I've got is the sermon on the Mount and the parables, you know, like, and so I, that would be my hope is that you can have those again. I love that. And I, I'm actually, I'm angry at the people who have gotten in between them and you. Mm. And I hope that you can heal from that. And if not, God loves you anyway. And he will, you know, God will lure you toward the good in innumerable ways at every single moment for the rest of your life anyway. So it's not like I need to be anxious <laughs> about it. I'm not anxious about You're it, You're but yeah, yeah.
1: I love that. It's so good. Cause right now that all of the, all of the language and all of the things having to do with that, are immediately red flagging my, you know, the, the hairs on my arms. And it's like, you're right. Like someday. And that, and that's, you know, that's the transcendent include. That's the, like the feast that's available at the table. Like I, I do want to be able to enjoy like the beauty that exists there, like, and, and have that be an option for the things that I
0: take in. It sounds like what I'm doing is inviting a PTSD war vet to like go as a tourist (laughs) back to Afghanistan.
1: Right. Right. Like, no, no one's going to be
0: shooting at you, but like, it doesn't matter. I'm not going back to Afghanistan until my PTSD is under control and probably never, never will go to Afghanistan. Right.
1: Yes. The most, it's like that, the most practical like application of what you just said is like, I would love to be able to be at a dinner with family and have people using this language And not have to be wading through this translation kind of muck, you know, that I would love to just be able to, like, completely unactivated and still regulated in my nervous system, just be able to not only accept that, but also maybe even enjoy and relate, like, to what it is. yeah. That would be great.
0: That's what I hope for you, too. Thank you. Well, you'll have to keep me informed.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Dan. This is so nice.
0: What a great conversation. Yeah, I loved me it. Me I, I know that our listeners will have loved it as well. And uh, keep doing the work. Yep. Keep, keep using those skills to write as concise and meaningful mm. songs as you can. And yeah, just that was fantastic. So good. Thank you. Fantastic conversation. Thanks to Josh Gilbert for editing it and you can hire him. His email is in the show notes. And now here is that clip of my conversation with Chris Hoke from the patron exclusive episode the first in the month of January. You haven't even read the text of Isaac the Syrian yet, but I know what he believed about God from reading some of that book and and David Bentley Hart writes about him a fair amount. And like I already – I know what he's going to say, and, and as – I know that what I – one of the things I'm going to feel as you read that is that I will be saddened that other Christians don't believe this, can't embrace it, and that I don't even have a way forward to convince the people in my actual life that this is more like Christ – even though it is straightforwardly more like the text that they say is authoritative in their lives, that they will have 25 ways of getting around that. I know that before it happens, I'm fucking depressed that that's the way it is. And that disincentivizes me to reimagine theologically and to pick up my Isaac of Syria book and read more of it because it's like, well, what's the point? And of course, that's not true. There is a point. There are a bunch of us, the remnant or whatever. There's you and I, there's the listeners of this show. There are the people that I will end up going to church with when we find a new church. You know, like it's not, it's not meaningless in the grand scheme of things, but man, it feels that way. And that's maybe kind of like the cumulative four and a half years of Trump plus COVID and all the you know just the conspiracy theory stuff and i'm just i'm fucking beat down by it and it's really exhausting yeah. and i just felt that come up and it seemed like the kind of thing i should probably share
2: absolutely i mean this is the same conversation with confronting white supremacy and racism right um, for me emotionally it's the same conversation of i it's easier for me as a white man of privilege to Kind of deconstruct and caveat the conversation, rather than being like, "I'm fucking racist." Okay, but you know? this is like interesting, I, and I need—I need, I just need to right. look at this and give myself permission to say that's racist. There's a better yeah. way of being, and I can just let this go and commit myself to some years of detoxing instead of justifying it or right. reframing it or making it kind of cool or repackaging antebellum architecture as a way that I can hold on to my identity without actually talking about slavery. For me, that's Marilyn Robinson, and and she's – it's dangerous to me.
0: So I do think – I notice a difference, though, because I think that what I – and maybe I just haven't had a good enough imagination about this to make the move. But with racial justice issues, I at least am aware that there are a handful of laws or policies that might be enacted that will address that issue – And I'm aware that there is something like 50 plus percent support for a lot of those things. And some of them are less likely to happen in certain areas like school funding, reform from income taxes, you know, or property taxes rather. And, you know, some of those are going to be bigger hills. But even then, at least I have this tangible thing that I can talk with my neighbors, talk with the PTA board about and, you know, if to the extent that our School has some you know control over that or whatever, like my kids' eventual elementary school. There are laws that I can advocate for at the federal and state level i you know I know some i don 't know as much as you do about the issue of of racial justice and disproportionate um, prison population and all that stuff but i I know enough to sort of like know how to be civically engaged on that, whereas with this other issue of like the theological imagination of what counts as God is like more abstract and seems like even more intractable to me in in a certain sense. Now, maybe that's a challenge for me to actually think about how I can concretize that into things that I can work toward so that, because actually I'm able to sort of, I'm able to get past a lot of the emotional difficulty of the frustrations around racial justice by just focusing on the practical. I just say in my mind, I'm going to look for opportunities for practical change. I'm actually not going to be a part of the social media circus and the yelling back and forth and the whatever. I'm just not going to do that. But I haven't found that kind of out, that sort of valve or um, thing to focus on, to focus my energies on. I guess the podcast to some degree. But as I'm describing it, I get I'm even disincentivized in some sense to talk about some of this on the podcast because it's so defeating so I don't know if that resonates with you at all sorry you, you, you can hide me in the topic
2: in the patreons <laughs> uh, patrons only and we'll we'll start from there we'll start with a you know we'll start in the upper room and we'll see where the conversation goes
0: <laughs> I'm actually gonna take that bit that I said there and put it in an ad for the episode so I'm gonna make it available to people I'm okay with admitting right, it I think Saint it's Isaac good again? what Yes. Okay. So now tell us who St. Isaac is um, before you read So St.
2: Isaac of Syria is 6th um, um, or 7th century um, in Syria. Um, there's a beautiful tradition of uh, Christian uh, mission and writing in hymnody and theology and uh, ascetical contemplative tradition in the early church that spread out all over. Um, you know, 312 was, you know, Rome, the, the Roman empire took over the faith. And so a lot of folks that took Jesus seriously said, this is getting goofy and fled to the desert and wanted to um, not be part of an official Roman religion that just, you know, took Jesus's name and symbols and put them on shields and swords and temples. Mm-hmm. Um, and wanted to live the way of Christ uh, as best they could and communicate and hang out in the wilderness and cre- and people fled from the empire and it's uh, excesses and grossness Uh, and abominations of the faith. I mean, this is an old problem. Uh, Into these enclaves where people were trying to live out paths of holiness inspired by teachings of the New Testament and the life of Christ. Um, So as that grew uh, down into the area we now call Syria, um, because it was uh, in uh, Syriac uh, language we call now, it got kind of buried in history and translations. It was only the last few hundred years that the Syriac tradition, even though it was, you know, 14, 1500 years ago, um, it feels kind of new, like the 1800s. And so, uh, some archaeology that was part of that,
0: right? Like they actually uncovered some of this stuff in the 1800s through digs, I think, and stuff like that. Probably. Yeah. I I think there's some bit of it that's, that's like that. Yeah.
2: And so what he's saying is recognized still, um, but everything in the Sierra tradition is recognized by Orthodox, Orthodoxy and Christian tradition as Orthodox. It's not French. It's just a really bright light. It's just like discovering Augustine a um, hundred years late. Um, and so Isaac is, is, if anyone's read the Brother Karamazov uh, and really liked Dostoevsky's theology, um, yeah. it's not Dostoevsky's theology. It's
0: Orthodoxy. Okay. The Father's so that was also the first uh, time is where I realized basically realized isaac uh stand in yeah
2: right so father Zossima is based on um an elder that Dostoevsky visited mm-hmm. um at the optima monastery who was right in the line of um isaac Syria. and so uh,
0: i guess uh, going, a lot going of back the to isaac Viseria, it's like Zossima says many of the things Zossima says are quotations from isaac that's what i meant to say not based on
2: him oh yeah cribs it yeah yeah. I mean, Dostoevsky knows what he's doing. He's not trying to, I mean, I just thought I love Dostoevsky, which I still do. Yeah. But as a Christian kin, I think a lot of people love Dostoevsky and love Zosima because we've been trained to love Christ. And then here yeah. is someone other than Christ saying stuff that just sets our hearts on fire. And I know, like, man. Yes. Uh, yes. I didn't hear the churches I grew up in talk about that. I want that kind of holiness. I want to be like that guy. That's so good. So many people have, I mean, you look at brothers those Karamazov on their bookshelves. And turn the book sideways and you see like a slim about 30 or 40 page regions it's kind of brown where their fingers have been a lot more often as if it were devotional or you know what the gospels or romans is on some people's bibles so anyway um this is who isaac assyria is um check him out maybe this could be your starter drug i'm gonna read a couple paragraphs and this this is mind you i know i'm kind of being i'm making an argument But when you enter this kind of theology, they're not making arguments. They're not Mm -hmm. in academies. They're not trying to argue a rational case that gets the Greco-Roman world to take the Christian faith seriously. These are people that are just only speaking to others, entering the cave, saying, we want to pray. Teach us how to pray. Mm -hmm. Teach us how to enter the heart of God. So that's why they're writing. They're not trying to make an intellectual case for any of this. Uh, He says, and what is a merciful heart? Because that's what they're wanting. They're not just trying to abstractly talk about God. They're trying to theosis, divinization. They want to enter into the being of God, be in Christ. As Paul says, what is a merciful heart? It is the heart burning for the sake of all creation. For mankind, for birds, for animals, for demons. And for every created thing. And by the recollection of them, the eyes of a merciful man or woman pour forth abundant tears by the strong and vehement mercy which grips this heart and by this compassion such a heart is humbled and cannot bear to hear or see any injury or slight sorrow in creation for this reason such a one offers up tearful prayer continually even for irrational beasts for the enemies of the truth and for those who harm him or her that they, even they, be protected and receive mercy. And in like manner, he even prays for the family of reptiles because of the great compassion that burns without measure in his heart in the likeness of God. I don't know about you, but that's the religion that I want.
0: okay thank you to natalie thanks to chris hoke for that Patreon exclusive interview patreon.com slash dan coke the link is in the show notes for that and yeah i guess we'll just see you guys next week for another episode it will be number 100 which is hard to believe If you're listening to this podcast, you must recognize the value of asking questions. At Aramco, our questions help us engineer a better future. How can today's resources fuel our shared tomorrow? How can we deliver energy to a world that can't stop? How can we deliver one of the fuels of the future? How can we sow curiosity to harvest ingenuity? To learn more about how innovation drives us forward, visit aramco.com slash powered by how.